Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. So today's lesson is going to be a real thrill for those of you who are prophecy buffs. I call it separated and submitted. Let's get started. You know, when I was in school, the primo job for any student who didn't like being a student, was the AV aide. Uh, For some of you, this is probably before your time. However, the AV guys got to get out of some class time in order to move around the carts that carried the film projectors and other equipment for showing movies to classes. I really envied those AV guys. But I don't envy their biblical counterparts, the prophets of old. You see, much of the time, they were the viz aids. Isaiah went around naked for three years. Check out Isaiah 20. Uh, Jeremiah wore a sash, then buried it, then dug it up. Ruined mess. Jeremiah chapter 13. He was also forbidden to take a wife or have children. That's Jeremiah 16. In another instance, he smashed a potter's flask in full view of the elders of Jerusalem and then proclaimed God's message. All viz aids. But then there's Ezekiel. His wife was taken home to paradise. That's in Ezekiel 24. He had to eat a scroll. Yummy. Ezekiel chapter 3. To cook with cow's dung, a double yummy, as Ezekiel chapter 4, and to lay on his sides, this is interesting, 390 days on his left side and 40 days on his right side. Again, check out Ezekiel chapter 4. No, I don't envy his ministry, but I am so very grateful for it. And it is this last viz aid visual aid, that I want to expound upon, because like many in our times, they are fulfilled very exactingly. Studying it should increase our faith and trust in God's masterful control. Let's start with the passage. Ezekiel 4, starting with verse 4. It says, God speaking, Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it, according to the number of days that you lie on it, for you shall bear their iniquity. Verse 5, For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. In verse 6, And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Now, from this viz aid, we learn of a period of time that corresponded to years equaling 430 years. This was the period of time in which the Son of Man was to bear or carry the iniquity of Israel and Judah. Now, in order to understand what this judgment consisted of, we need to reference the prophecies of Ezekiel's 
semi-contemporary, that is, Jeremiah. He spoke of two specific judgments and a single length of time. Here's the first judgment, Jeremiah 27.8. It says, And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. The second judgment. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given to the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. That's Jeremiah 38. So, there's the two judgments. Now, there's a length of time. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from the nations, all the nations, and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. That's Jeremiah 29. So the two judgments are known as the servitude of the nation and the desolations of Jerusalem. The periods of time they represent largely overlap, but they are two separate judgments. The initial time in which the Jews were in captivity at Babylon was indeed 70 years. Now, the first judgment began when the nation lost its independence in 606 B.C., This was when the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, first conquered Judah and Jerusalem. At this point, 606, the city was left intact. Later, by the declaration of the Persian king Cyrus II, I guess you'd call it Cyrus II, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem, but less than 50,000 of them took advantage of that. This was a small percentage of the population, most of whom apparently found living in their new homes more appealing than making the trek back to a destroyed city and homeland. Clearly, this was a type of rebellion against the Spirit of God. For Jeremiah spoke and said, This is what the Lord says. When seventy years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back 
to this place. In Jeremiah 25, the prophet said that the Jews would suffer 70 years of Babylonian domination. Jeremiah also said Babylon would be punished after the 70 years. Now, both parts of this prophecy were indeed fulfilled. In 609 BC, which is about 2,600 years ago, Babylon captured the last Assyrian king and took over the holdings of the Assyrian Empire, to which the land of Israel previously had been subjugated. Babylon later asserted its domination by taking many Jews as captives to Babylon. And by destroying Jerusalem and the temple, the domination ended in 539 B.C., when Cyrus, a leader of the Persians and Medes, conquered Babylon and brought an end to its empire. Cyrus, remember he's a Persian, later offered the captive Jews the freedom to return to their homeland. The prophecy also might have been fulfilled in another way too. The Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem's temple in 586 B.C., and the Jews rebuilt it and consecrated it 70 years later, in 516 B.C. Having the temple again showed in a very important way that the effects of Babylonian domination had truly come to an end. So, we see from this that the 70-year prophecy, or prophecies, applies accurately to both the servitude of the nations and to the desolation of Jerusalem, as represented by the temple, as well as the captivity of the Jewish people. For the nations, this was from 609 B.C. to 539 B.C., For the nation of Israel, as represented by Judah, the beginning of servitude began in the summer of 606 B.C. and ended in 536 B.C. This latter date was the second literal year, as well as the first legal year of reign for Cyrus. That's out of 2 Chronicles 36. The first year was considered a year of ascendancy. For Jerusalem, that is the temple, as mentioned above, This was from 586 B.C. when it was destroyed to 516 B.C. when it was rebuilt. Now, I know these are a lot of dates. All you need to remember really from these is that they all, beginning to end for each one, were 70 years, exactly as prophesied. Now, we know from 2 Chronicles 36 that the 70 years were determined by God to account for the 70 Sabbath years that the Jews had ignored. The Sabbath year was a year of rest that God had commanded. Their 70 years of absence gave the land rest, and those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So there we've covered both the judgments and the length of time in some detail. And as a reminder, just remember it was 70 years and it was fulfilled exactly. But now let's move on to those additional years, which were represented by Ezekiel 
laying on his sides. Remember, 390 and then 40, representing a total of 430 years. So we know why God placed a 70-year judgment on Israel, but we still have another set of numbers to look at. But we are not told explicitly why God determined the 430 years. In the only previous judgment that came upon the Jewish people involving a day for a year, it was when the spies went into the promised land way back when and came back with a faithless report. God said, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. That's in Numbers chapter 14. Forty years in the wilderness led to a new, more faithful generation who followed Joshua into the promised land. In other words, the judgment had a purpose and a message specific to the Jewish people. Now, The only other mention of 430 years concerning the Jews in the Bible is this, out of Exodus 12. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout all their generations. Scripturally, Egypt is a picture of the world. The Jews went there when Joseph was powerful and were treated well at first, but after his death, became servants, and were ultimately oppressed. Now the Jewish people, contrary to what the Lord has ordained for them, have always desired to be a part of the world, accepted by the world, and even esteemed highly by the world. Worldly success and notoriety are very important to them. Therefore I suggest that the purpose and message in this 430 days or years judgment was to produce, similarly, a people separate from the world, just as they were separate from Egypt, truly separated unto the Lord, crying out for a prophet like Moses. Remember that passage? Who's that speaking of? Jesus. To lead them out. You can see Deuteronomy 18.15 on that. Now, we need to introduce another key verse. In the book of Leviticus 26, the Lord laid down a very serious condition upon his people. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain. 
for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues. And after all this, let me say that again, after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. That's Leviticus chapter 26, 13 through 18. You see, in Jeremiah, God had said that after the 70 years, he would cause the Jews to return. But though some did make the trip, the vast majority were rebellious to the nudge of his spirit. For that reason, I suggest we can consider the conditions cited above in Leviticus 26 as kicking in, so to speak, at the balance of the period of judgment after the 70 years was multiplied by seven. We started with 430 years of judgment that God proclaimed in Ezekiel. Then, after 70 years of that judgment, we're left with 360 years. All right, so they didn't get the clue and rebelled. Multiplying this by seven, we get 2,520 years. Wow. Now, hang with me. It'll be worth it. As we are dealing with prophecy, we must also use the biblical year of 360 days. That you could refer to all about Noah in those times. When we do, we find that 2,520 years equals 907,200 days. Wow! Now, if we add to that number the days represented in the first part of the judgment, those first 70 years, that's 25,200, we get a total of, get your calculator out, 932,400 days total. So what, you say? Well, here's what. Start with May 14, 1948, the day the modern nation of Israel was reborn, and go backward those 932,400 days and guess where you land. July 17th, 606 BC, which corresponds to the first week of Av, 3155 on the Jewish calendar. That means that indeed, starting with the servitude of Judah to Babylon in the summer of 606 BC, we don't see a truly sovereign nation of Israel again until May 1948, just as prophesied. Hmm. And then there is the desolation of Jerusalem. History shows that from the time that the nation was put into servitude, remember from Babylon, until the desolation of the city and the temple was 19 years. Likewise, the time from the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948 until the liberation of Jerusalem in the 1967 Six-Day War was also 19 years. So as we should expect, the prophecy of Ezekiel and the prophetic condition declared by Moses were both fulfilled precisely concerning the nation's servitude and the desolation of Jerusalem. There is, however, another important aspect of this that has yet to play out. To understand it, we need to review again 
Moses' words in Leviticus 26. It's an initial condition. You shall not make idols for yourselves. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause a sorrow of heart. Remember all this? And you shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemy shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Why God brought Babylon upon them? Here he goes. For behold, I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. It shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. In addition, they have committed adultery with their idols, and even sacrificed their sons, whom they bore to me, passing them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it, and indeed, thus they have done in the midst of my house. That's all from Ezekiel 23. From these and other passages, we can see that Israel utterly failed the initial condition set forth by Moses, and thus the Lord did as he said he would in the first part of Leviticus 26. And as we discussed in some detail above, we've also witnessed the consequences of the following passage, where it says, And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. That's verse 18. But now, how about the balance of the prophetic conditions in Leviticus 26? During the long period of time in which the nation was in servitude and Jerusalem desolated, God said, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Indeed, the Roman legions that crushed the nation in 70 AD completely broke the nation and scattered the people, even renaming the land and cities. In rejecting Christ, the Jews were incommunicado with God and ultimately became vagabonds on the earth. Everywhere they relocated, they were eventually rejected and persecuted. Meanwhile, the land of Israel was pillaged and destroyed. In fact, a tax from a Turkish ruler upon trees resulted in the complete deforestation of the land. Visitors to what was Israel in the 19th century described it as the most desolate place on earth. 
But all that ended in the 20th century as Israel was reestablished and Jerusalem taken back from foreign control. The judgment spoken by Ezekiel and compounded by Moses was over. The year was 1967. Now, for 50 years since or more, the Lord has waited to see if the nation will turn to him. However, there has been no change of heart. The Jews are still unrepentant and unyielding to him, stuck in their stubborn adherence to worldliness and spiritual apathy. They have become more powerful militarily and economically than all the nations surrounding them put together and are supported by their superpower ally, the U.S. Consequently, their confidence is in their own power, not God's. Daniel the prophet was told concerning this very situation, quote, At that time, Michael, who's the archangel, shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as there never has been since there was a nation even to that time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. That's from Daniel chapter 12. This period is also known as the 70th week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy, found in Daniel chapter 9, and also as the time of Jacob's trouble, a seven-year period we call the tribulation. Now, I'll suggest that the remainder of Leviticus 26 continues to describe it when it says three things. Verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. In verse 23 and 24, it says, and if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And from verse 27 and 28, And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury or wrath. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. In the balance of the chapter, we see that there are three more sets of judgments, seven times each upon a rebellious people. Now, What do we know about the tribulation period from the book of Revelation that comes upon a Christ-rejecting people in three sets of seven? Right! Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials of God's wrath. In Revelation we read, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. And thirdly, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. All that last two are from Revelation 16. 
In fact, if you carefully examine the judgments in this latter portion of Leviticus 26 and compare them with the direful tribulation events of Revelation, whoa, they are very, very similar. Yet the conclusion of Leviticus 26 also offers a glorious promise. It says, If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, and I will remember the land. For their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. All that's from verses 40 through 42 and 45 of chapter 26. And Revelation concludes, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark in their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's Revelations chapter 20. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's out of Revelation chapter 21. And so, although God has dealt and will continue to deal with his rebellious people, their end is a glorious one. Our Father is looking for a people separated from the world and submitted to him. May his bride, both Jew and Gentile, be such a people. Maranatha. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.